0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host Josh Nichols, and I just want to say it right from the outset: this was one of my favorite conversations I've had yet on the podcast. Not to throw other conversations under the bus, but I just think this one is just is so good. Uh, My guest for today is Lou Stagner. You probably know him from Twitter. If you know him, uh, he's uh, Lou Stagner, Golf Stat Pro. He's uh, a self-proclaimed golf stat nerd. Uh, He He's just always posting things on Twitter about, uh, you know, shot link data, PGA tour players, statistics, um, amateur golfer statistics, you know, shot dispersion patterns, strategy, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just, uh, he's a super smart guy. He would be what I would call like a golf scientist. He's, he's interested in the data, the empirical knowledge that we can have about golf and, the cross section of that with the mental game is fascinating because the mental game is so often not scientific. It's so often intangible and something you can't quantify. But what you'll hear in this conversation is me learning from Lou and what he has learned recently about the quantification of the mental game and how that can benefit you directly. So, A lot of light bulbs went off for me during this episode, and I hope the same happens to you because it was just fascinating to hear Lou talk about his experience uh, with learning how to quantify the mental game better. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Take notes, listen to it multiple times. It's just awesome. Uh, So, yeah, let's get into it with Lou Stagner. So if you can just start by maybe introducing yourself, uh, given kind of a history of however far back you want to go, but sure, how you got to where you are now.
1: Yeah, well, one, uh, thanks for having me on this morning. It's, uh, it's good to chat with you. Uh, so where where should I start? Um, I guess uh, I'll, I'll start just with the, with the math side of, of things. I, uh, I've been working in corporate America for 20 plus years. I'm a director of analytics at a privately held company and run a team that uh, does all sorts of things from simple reporting to machine learning, predictive analytics, and everything in between. And a little over three years ago, um, I started to um, get into golf analytics. Um, I created a a golf blog, um, and I did it to kill some time in the winter here in the Northeast. Uh, It snows starting in, I don't know, November-ish. Anyway, it gets cold, tough to play golf. And I decided I was going to take all of the golf stats that I was working on and, and start uh, putting out some blog articles uh, on some of the things I thought were interesting. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think anybody would read it. Um, I thought maybe some of my friends would would read some of these things, uh, more so to, to make me shut up every time we play. And I would you know go through these things at length with them. Um, and, uh, it kind of exploded pretty quickly and, uh, it's been kind of a crazy ride since. So that's, uh, that's the history in a nutshell.
0: So do you still keep the golf blog or has that all gone to Twitter?
1: No, nah, it's all, it's all gone. I haven't, uh, I only actually put up, uh, two blog posts. <laughs> really? Uh, okay. Yeah. I, okay. I, I, two posts, uh, one of them was around, uh, measuring players in the clutch. Uh, so, in, I just will call it pressure situations. And that was um, the very first thing that I did. Uh, and uh, hat tip to, to Will Haskett. Uh, will used to run a pod. I think he, he it's on hiatus at the moment. Um, and it's called, it was called the perfect number. And he was talking about the idea of measuring players uh, in a clutch situation. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I think I could, I could do something with that. And I put something out and that got a little bit of attention. Uh, and then the next thing that I put out was around looking at how having a good angle to the pin, uh, how that impacted performance. And uh, I always thought that having a better angle was going to be advantageous. And I was really surprised to find out that it made no real impact and so that one got a lot of attention and then just things kind of uh, took off from there. And, uh, and then, so everything somewhat started to move over to Twitter uh, prior to starting my golf blog. I was a pretty, um, I don't want to say anti-social media, but I was not on social media. I had her, I had a Twitter account at that point, but I think I used it. You know, I think I literally logged on like twice um, and didn't, never did anything you know facebook account that i go on once a year twice a year maybe um and and now you know social media is this thing that i do and so i still kind of feel the same way about it i mean it's it's not the best place to spend all your time but um i i've come to appreciate uh, what it can do uh, opportunity wise
0: yeah just uh just this morning i was I was like, I need to prepare. I need to like get some more fodder for this uh, for this yeah. podcast. So I was just scrolling through your Twitter, and I mean, you're you're posting multiple times a day, just random stats, random facts, random thoughts on your mind. And um, so you must have come a long way to. Uh, this isn't a social media podcast, but you must have come a long way to from like I don't really care about social media to this is the main fire hydrant that I'm gonna put out into the world
1: yeah um, it became uh, it became the main fire hydrant yeah that's a, it's a good way to a good way to put it um, and uh, you know it generates a significant amount of reach right so being able to put something out there and and literally in a few hours have you know potentially hundreds of thousands of people see it um, is pretty powerful um you know I'll call it advertising. Um, or brand building or, or however you want to think of it. Um, and so doing that with my own blog um, is just not going to have the same kind of impact, not even
0: close. Of course. So uh, I you didn't mention it, but maybe you can talk about it. What is your, if you're still at our, Ar- I'm assuming you're still at Arcos that just kind of just happened. Uh, so what is your specific role at Arcos?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm the data insights lead at Arcos, uh, and I started there, uh, I guess it was beginning of October. Uh, And so I'm there to help them out with, um, you know, a lot of the things that would be way too nerdy to talk about, um, you know, data related, um, specifically things that I do in my day job to, to run a reporting and analytics team. I'm helping them with some of the same types of things. So I'm 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 doing that for them. Uh, I'm helping them to take some of their data, turn it into some information. You'll you'll you, know, you probably have noticed I've, I've put some things out around Arcos Data out there on social media. Um, it's uh, they're a fascinating company. They're they're always driving forward and trying to improve, enhance, deliver more value to players. It's one of the things that that really drew me into them. Was they're not just um, you know they haven't just settled in and said okay what we have is what we have and uh, let's just uh, let's just see how it goes they're always looking to improve and they have so many things um, on the list that they're working through you know this year and subsequent years that is just going to you know take data. Uh, in analytics for us amateur golfers to, you know, even another level beyond what they're currently doing. So it's a really cool place to be a part of and uh, to have access to uh, a half a billion shots, you know, that's billion with a B. um, It's insane how many shots they have from players all over the world that use Arcos. And I get to look at it, it's the largest on course data set in the world. You know, To, to, to put it in perspective, ShotLink has been around since 2004. Uh, and there's just over, I think it's like, I don't know, 21 or 22 million shots in ShotLink in total. Um, and Arcos has half a billion. Um, and so it's, it's amazing all the stuff that you can do with that. And and they have a significant amount of data hmm. that you can look at some really, really cool stuff. So I bet. I I'm bet. really it's,
0: excited. It's just like this giant pool that you just dive right into. Oh sure yeah. Love
1: it. <laughs> yeah. I remember I, I tweeted out like the the first time that I I, I got access and, And they walked me through the data model uh, and I got to, you know, just I got to dive in that first day. And I was literally like a kid in a candy store. Just this is unbelievable having all these many shots. I remember the first thing that um, the guy who runs, uh, he's in charge of all their software and their engineering there. Um, and he first thing he he said was, "All right, let me. I want to show you some of the tables, and uh, just you know, tell me something you want to look at. Just give me anything. Let's let's look at something." And so I said, "All right, well, you know, let's look at uh, single digit handicaps. I want to look at their proximity to the hole from the fairway, from 100 to 125 yards." Uh, he's like, "All right, that's simple enough." And so he wanted to show me how I would get there what tables that, that data would live in and how I would pull all that data to look at that number. And as he's going through and he's talking me through this, he said, you know what, I'm just I'm going to limit this to one day. Um, like, I don't want to bring back too much stuff. I'm going to limit this to one day. And did I say as part of this, I only wanted single-digit handicaps? So, yeah, so I only wanted single-digit handicaps. So we limited it to one day and he, and he, and he hits enter and it returns back like 3,500 shots and I, my head just kind of exploded i was like wait a minute so i quickly started to do the math and went way to 3500 times more days like that's un, that's just incredible so the the volume of shots that they have is uh, it still blows my mind every time i uh, every time i look at something different
0: yeah if if he started describing well i'm just going to do one day and and it's just 100 125 single digit I'm like, okay, we're going to get a, maybe a hundred shots. Maybe yeah. you got thousands. That's thousands. Crazy. That's yeah.
1: Crazy. It, was, it was, it was, crazy. So yeah, it's uh, it's cool. It's a, it's a really, really fun uh, gig to have. Um, and it's uh, it's, it doesn't even feel like a job. It doesn't feel like work. <laughs> Good. Um, I get to play around. Uh, I get to combine
0: the two things that I love golf and data. Um, and it's, it's awesome that's great. So you mentioned to me, you were recently doing a, uh, what you said, a neuroscience certification. Did you get to complete it yet? I did.
1: Yeah. I I, I got to complete that. Nice.
0: Maybe you can tell us about it. Sure. Um, So I've
1: I've gotten to meet a lot of really cool and interesting people in this journey, um, in the golf space. And one of those people is a, a guy named Doctor Izzy Justice, which is a great name, by the way. Right? That's mm-hmm. just an awesome name, <laughs> Sounds uh, like a superhero. <laughs> yeah, he is like he's like Batman or something. He's <laughs> just a great guy, um, and he is a sports neuroscientist, and he he works with professional athletes across all sports. You know, from from golf to to NASCAR mm-hmm. uh, and everything in between. Um, and he, you know, we got to know each other, we got to chatting, um, and I started to, you know, pick his brain on some things, uh, and then, you know, push come to shove. I I went through his certification program. Um, he's written numerous books, um, not just on golf, but on a, a number of things related to, to neuroscience. And one of them is on golf, um, and. So I, I I read through his book. I went through his certification, and uh, it was it was eye opening for me. Um, I I'd read just about you know every sports psychology book golf related you can name, and uh, most of them uh, I would say, and I and I mean no disrespect to anybody, but most of them, you know, it to me as a as a numbers person, I wanted a little bit more. Um, I wanted a little bit more science behind it. I wanted a little bit more information. I wanted them to quantify things. Uh, I just didn't want to hear, you know, detach yourself from emotion. Um, What what does that mean? You know, why do you need to do that? Um, The hows and the whats and the whys. I wanted those specifics. And the thing that I think the, the, the thing that neuroscience does is it gives you those specifics. It's not talking in generalizations. It's talking in what's actually going on up in your brain. So it was fascinating to go through. Um, and I feel like I've learned uh, so much. Uh, there's a number of players that, that I, I work with that I've you know shared this material with. Um, I've had them read through his book. And I've had so many players come back to me and say, of all the things that you work with me on, you know, stats related, strategy related, whatever it happens to be, the most important session we ever did was the one on mental game. That had the most impact on me. And it, it, it's not my material. Right. Um, you know, I'm just regurgitating what I, you know, what I learned from somebody that, that's really smart. Um, and it's uh, it's a fascinating topic. I think it's one that's going to have a huge impact uh, in the golf space over the next however many years. Um, And I I almost think of it a little bit like uh, strokes gained where, you know, 2008, maybe around there. I I think that's when Brody's first paper came out. It was around there. Mm -hmm. And there were at that point in time, there may have been a, you know, a handful of people in the world that knew what strokes gained was and knew how important it was. Uh, and then that has changed. That has gotten. That's started to grow, um, and and now you know that you won't find too many serious golfers that are are ignoring strokes gained, um, and the you know the where golf is and, and what they're thinking about stat related, uh, has completely fundamentally shifted and changed. And, and I think the things that they've learned about the brain, uh, and neuroscience being applied to sports, I think is, is, you know, right now is about where maybe, uh, strokes gained was in 2008, 2009, somewhere in that range. So Interesting. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a, a, a hugely impactful area moving forward.
0: Yeah. I, I remember listening to, I, th- I think it was one of the hack it out podcast and if anyone's listening go check out hack it out uh lou is a co-host on that one uh it's it's really good uh him and Crossfield, it's just awesome it's really good uh, yeah, i nice love the job. topics you guys cover but at the very end of one of your episodes maybe you were interviewing someone i can't really remember but just in passing you said i think the mental game is the next frontier of statistics in golf yeah. and i don't even know if you had gotten to this neuroscience thing yet but you must have been dabbling in it so what when you say the statistics part of neuroscience and the mental game this is the mental golf show so this is really what i want to talk about right. and you mentioned kind of the 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 blog post you put out about clutch and i want to talk about that later sure clearly you've been thinking about the statistics of the mental game for some time what how how can stats enter into the um, uh, picture with the mental game. Like what, like, you're right. I'm guilty of the, just attach yourself, just accept the results. Just like, just breathe all these things. They're vague. And I desire more tangible things to tell people and to think for myself. So where does that come in? Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And and so I'll, I'll try to, uh, I'll, I'll try in a nutshell. I'll sure. try to, uh, uh, communicate, you know, months and months <laughs> worth of, of, of learning and, of and work on this. So at, at a high level, um, I think the, the role that stats can play in the mental game is helping you understand what proper expectations are. Um, the way that the brain works is if you, if you hit a shot, uh, your brain, uh, there's going to be some level of surprise after a shot. Um, if you hit the ball exactly how you want it to uh, want it to, uh, to go, there, there's going to be almost no real surprise. If you hit one off the hosel um, on the 18th hole uh, of a tournament with, with a, a, a thousand fans watching you, there's, that's a big surprise. You're not expecting to do that. Um, it's a very poor outcome. And what happens, the brain doesn't like surprises, and when the brain is surprised your frequencies in your brain your brain wave frequency the brain is nothing but a bunch of electrical waves your frequencies get higher um and your frequencies go way up Um, you're a really good golfer um uh, i've seen your swing and i would kill for that swing (laughs) it's Phenomenal. I have killed for this for myself. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you made a deal with the devil with that move, dude. Because it's uh, it's spectacular. Um, oh, that's why I don't. That's why I don't post my swing on social media. <laughs> you uh, should. Oh no no no! It would all be over if people saw that track uh, okay. of, of a move. So Followers yeah. would plummet. <laughs> they would plummet. Yeah, I'd go down to zero, or may- maybe my mom would be the only one left. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, boy, I lost my train of thought there.
0: Well, you were you were talking about how the surprise of, of hitting a bad shot and, um, and the, the electrical waves that like right. all the brain is, is electrical waves. Maybe you could pick up back there. I yeah, lost yeah. my train of thought cause you complimented me so well. That was, so <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I did. We just saw your swing the other day. Yeah. Um, you just posted it and, um, but I want to, I'm, we're going to come back to that cause it's sure, a sure. mental golf show, but you have <laughs> to be plus four plus three somewhere in that range. What are you?
0: I'm currently a plus, one-ish, plus one ish, but I I never play. I never post scores. I I hit balls every know, once a week right yeah. now. I just I'm 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 a mental coach, so I I'm busy trying to do that as much as I can. So I you're 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 spot on. When I was playing and posting all the time, I was plus three or plus four. Got um, yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's phenomenal. So with that swing (laughs) and knowing how good of a player you are, Mm. um, have you ever been in the zone? For sure. Yeah. What did it feel like?
0: It felt like nothing. It felt like almost emptiness, almost, uh, like a blur. Like I think back to, I finished runner up in the U S mid am in 2017. And i the listeners of this podcast will roll their eyes. I've told this kind of, I've talked about this event a million times because it was just the best. Everything I know and learn, have learned just kind of culminated in that event. And, you know, it's like five or six matches to get to the final. And yeah. those five or six matches are a complete blur to me. I remember just f- little flashes here and there. But most of all of them were just a blur. I can't really remember any detail until the final. I feel like I snapped out of it and I came back to reality and it felt more like I was in the moment. But that's only because I was noticing things that I wasn't noticing before, which turned out to be bad. And right. I lost eight and six in the final. <laughs> but yeah, I, still, it was a blur. So I, I called that. Like a like five days, I was in the zone, basically. So yeah,
1: and and so it's interesting. Anytime you ask someone that, um, have you been in the zone? Uh, any you know halfway decent athlete um, will say, yeah, I, I've had moments in the zone. Sometimes it, it lasts for a while. Sometimes it's a, a couple of shots, but I've been in the zone. Mm-hmm. And you will typically get a response like that. You'll typically hear someone say um, uh, something cognitive, they they would, they're describing a cognitive state. It's, it was slow. It was comfortable. It was easy. It was a blur. Everything just everything they're describing. There is cognitive. You didn't say, Oh, my swing was perfect. Oh, my backswing was ideal. Oh, you know, I was just hitting, you know, P four was just perfect. (laughs) You're not saying those things you're describing something cognitive. And the reason you're doing that is, when you are in the zone, there's different kinds of brain waves that you have. and alpha and theta brain waves um, are lower frequency brain waves, and that's what you want. That's the zone that you want to be in. That's the, the brainwave frequency that you're trying to achieve. So <clears throat> the aha moment for me in the mental game was understanding that first and foremost, is everything that we're doing, we are trying to get to low a low frequency brainwave state. Um, That is the objective of the mental game is to get to low frequency brainwaves. Hmm. Uh, And the reason is when you have high frequency brainwave activity. So when you, um, if you were driving along in your car and you go to change lanes and somebody beeps at you, you jerk the wheel, you're going to go to high frequency. When you uh, are walking in the woods and a bear jumps out at you, you're going to go to high frequency. Um, When you, um, if you've ever touched a stove and burned yourself, uh, the next time you get around a stove, you're going, your brain waves are going to go up. They're going to high frequency. Your brain is assessing all of those threats. Uh, Ideally, um, your brain is, uh, you know, it's trying to keep you alive. Uh, And so negative experiences like that take priority. The brain has access to all of those negative memories um, and when it's thinking about those things, your brain wave frequency goes up, it gets higher. And that does a couple, it does three things that impact the golf swing. The first thing that it does is it causes your sequencing to be off. Um, and so what I mean by that, um, you know, you can think golf sequencing, because that's sort of it's a good analogy. But what I mean by that is um, your ability to hit a golf shot exists primarily, it, it exists only in your brain. Um, there's no such thing as muscle memory. Muscles do not have the ability to retain information. Um, they execute instructions from the brain. So your ability to hit a flop shot, hit a drive, a little baby fade, whatever you're trying to do, those instructions are in your brain. Those instructions need to get to all your muscles and your muscle, muscles execute those instructions. And those instructions travel through neural pathways. Just think of those as roads throughout the body. And when you have high-frequency activity, think of that like a lot of traffic on the road. Um, And when there's a lot of traffic on the road, um, those instructions can't get there um, efficiently or effectively, and that sequencing can be off. So I'm going to really simplify here, but that bit of instruction that needs to go to your left wrist to get it into flexion at impact, it might get there a little bit late. It might get there a little bit early. Um, And that might cause the face to be open a degree or close to degree. And the ball now doesn't really go where you want it to go. So high frequency brainwave activity causes sequencing to be off. The next thing it causes is force to be off. So I'm sure as a good player, you've hit a shot where you've been, I don't know, uh, you've had a a wedge in your hand and you're at a perfect wedge number. Um, And as a good player, you know, your numbers really well. Um, and it's a flat fairway. It's a flat hole. There's no wind. Um, and you hit it and it's perfect. Uh, and as a good player, you know when you've hit a really good shot and it's perfect and it's in the air and you're thinking, get close. And it drops out of the air 20 yards short. And you're like, what just happened? Like, how is that possible? Or it, it goes 20 yards long. And you're like, what, I'm, what just happened? And you're, you're completely baffled. There's no wind. There's no nothing to explain any of it. Um, and what very well could have been going on there was your brainwave frequency is a little bit higher, and when it's a little bit higher, your force is off. So let's say you normally swing your nine iron at, I don't know, ninety miles per hour, whatever that number happens to be. Well, when you're when you're not feeling force correctly, um, you may have swung that at eighty five or eighty six. It felt like ninety. It felt like a stock move, and it felt like perfect contact, and it probably was but you just swung the club significantly slower than you normally do, but you couldn't tell uh, because the force in your brain feels off. And another way to think of that is if you've ever been in a, we'll call it a pressure situation, which pressure, uh, to define pressure, what is it? It's nothing more than a high quantity of high-frequency brainwaves, that's all that it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you're in a pressure moment, pressure situation, Sometimes people will describe that as like my hands felt heavy or my arms felt heavy. Well, that's your sense of force being impacted. And, you know, normally your arm feels, you know, whatever it feels. Um, But when, you know, you're on the first hole of the mid finals, your arm might feel like it weighs 50 pounds um, because your sense of force is, is off. And then the final thing that, so we talked about sequencing being off, we talked about uh, force being off uh, the final thing. And this is extremely important in golf that gets impacted is your ability to hold the target. Um, so when you have high frequency brain waves, your ability to hold the target gets impacted and in golf, that's extremely important because we, we take one last look at, at the target and then we look down and we're not looking at the target anymore. Mm. The only time we ever really continue to notice the target is closer putts. Um, and closer putts can be impacted by, you know, which way you putt and what your eye dominance is. So like I'm a left-handed putter, I'm right. Eye dominant. Um, and it helps me to see the target on closer putts a little bit easier than somebody that would be left eye dominant, like
0: peripheral vision, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so your ability to hold the target in golf is extremely important and why it's important is when you look down. If you have high frequency brainwave activity, your brain can start to move where that target is. So, if I'm if I'm setting up and I take one last look at the target and the target is right there at that camera and I look down and I have high frequency brainwave activity, my target could get shifted. Yeah. So my target could get shifted over there I'm pointing to my right or right, right. my left. Yeah. And what happens is the body is now simply reacting to that new target. And so, when you get into those pressure situations, where pressure just means a high quantity of high frequency brainwaves, high traffic, um, the, there's the, all that traffic. All these things get impacted. Well, when you hit those pulls or those pushes in those situations, that very often is not a swing issue. Um, that very often is your brain doesn't have isn't holding that target effectively and so just a simple analogy on what it means to hold the target i'm sure you've done this if you've ever walked up to a foul line uh, in basketball and and dribbled the ball and closed your eyes and, and shot you know you took one last look and you closed your eyes and you shot um that is holding the target and and you're able you know when you're messing around with your buddies you're able to 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 be you know, relatively close there because, you know, you're, you're probably just out there having fun and you're in a lower frequency state. Um, but that, that's what it means by your ability to hold the target. So, you know, going through and, and learning all of these things for me, for somebody that, you know, deals in numbers all day. Understanding the hows and the whys and the specifics of what is going on, and how our our objective is to get to low frequency, and then all of the techniques that you can apply to get to low frequency, like that is what um, the mental game ultimately is from a neuroscience perspective. So, but I, I'm going to pause now because I've been rambling for <laughs> know, like an hour, so I'm going I'm to shut up
0: now. That is absolutely fascinating because I. I mean, that's everything we've always talked about is related to those things, but that's just like, that's the reality of what's happening. We just, we're really, uh, um, like my job as a mental coach, I'm just all along, I've just been talking about the symptoms, not the source of the problem, because I don't know this neuroscience thing. So when someone, I mean, I, 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 (laughs) I want to talk about all three of those for an hour each, but. The, the last one, I just, what stuck out to me is I, I'm just thinking of if you're in a high frequency, yes, your, um, yes, your job and my job as a mental coach to help a player is to find a way to lower that frequency, of course, because that's going to help you hold the target better, but let's say you can't, or it's just too much pressure or whatever it's just too too high frequency and you just you you're not able to what what struck me as a potential help in that scenario is an intermediate target two or three feet in front of the ball and maybe you can correct me on this of like well no that doesn't even help but it seems like if your brain once you turn away from the target and you look down you can't even see Like it's 150 yards away. Your brain is shifting that target left or right mentally, but what you can be sure you're still aiming at is your intermediate target, two or three feet in front of the ball is, am I on the right track there? Is that, um,
1: yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that can help, but, um, I would, the focus at at that point needs to be lowering brainwave frequency. So picking an intermediate target uh, would be like, um, you know, blotting up the blood like it's it's you got a giant gut cut and, mm. and it's in and the blood is coming out of your arm and you're just kind of dabbing it up so it doesn't get on the carpet um, where um, lowering your brainwave frequency would be, you know, applying pressure to the cut and making the bleeding stop. Um, and and so the intermediate target is is definitely something, you know, people can use And some people. Um, that's how they choose to play the game all the time. Right. Um, and that can certainly help um, and it can, it can help to give your brain an intermediate target. that intermediate target needs to be extremely close. Um, you, when you look down at the ball, it needs to be literally in front of the ball, essentially. Uh, some people don't like that. Some people um, have uh, struggle with having a target a few inches in front of the ball. It, it, it changes the low point of their swing and it makes things a, a little bit funky. But that can, that can be something for some players that, uh, that helps to contribute to hitting a better golf shot. Um, but when you get into a high frequency state, your real objective there is to lower the frequency because if you, if you don't lower that frequency, you still have those two other things to contend with. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have sequencing being off you, and, and you still have force being off, even if you have a target perfectly right there in front of you. And those things can cause and do cause plenty of issues and where the ball ends up. So getting yourself to low frequency is all that the mental game uh, is, you know, from a neuroscience perspective, that's all that it's really about.
0: Well, that obviously begs the question of the, how, now that we know the why, I guess, or the, what, how do you lower those frequencies? yeah there's a, a
1: lot of different techniques. Um, I actually just recorded um, a training program with Dr. Justice and um, going through all these things um, and in his book, he lays out a number of techniques. So some of them, I won't get go through all of them, but um, some of them include uh, and you're not going to be surprised by this breathing. well, do you do you take a deep breath before a golf shot? I do. you do why why do you do that?
0: I thought it was to lower my heart rate. But,
1: well, I mean, lowering your heart rate, it certainly, but what it does is it lowers your brainwave frequency. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, we, if we hooked you up to an EEG machine um, and um, we were measuring your brainwave activity, every time you took a a deep breath, you would see your brainwave frequency come down. Um, And so I always, yeah, I always take a deep breath. Yeah. you take a deep breath before a shot. That's what you're supposed to do. Supposed to. Um, And. Uh, Well, I never understood why, Uh, and now I understand the science behind the why. Which, to me, my personality is such that it makes something like um, that—I don't want to say more believable, because—but it it makes it more powerful. It, it, I understand exactly why I'm doing it and what it's what it's causing in my brain to um, change my brainwave frequency state, which is in turn going to help me hit a better golf shot. So it connects all, all the dots for me. And, you know, it's fascinating to see there's, um, uh, a, a video that, uh, that Do- Dr. Justice has that he shows in this training program. And it's one of the professional golfers that that he works with. And, um, have you ever seen those headbands? Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Justice has a headband with some software that him and his team have worked on you know, for years. Um, and it's fascinating to see in this video. This golfer is um, lined up over a shorter putt. And he goes through some of the techniques to um, lower brainwave frequency. And it is just, it's astonishing. as the golfer is in the background and then there's a laptop screen and you can see the golfer and you can see the screen and you can hear Dr. Justice giving the golfer instructions on what to do. And as the golfer is doing these, you can see the scan of his brain and you can see it changing and you can see the frequency changing um, and in real time. And it's just absolutely fascinating to to see those things Um, and all of the, uh, you know, the studies that he's put in around measuring players while they are performing and hitting golf shots and seeing the different outcomes is, uh, is for, for a numbers guy like me, it's just fascinating to see all that info.
0: So, I mean, first of all, we need to get Arcos to get either a grip or something or a headband or something that's also connected to your stats. But that aside, is there, I mean, you've got, you know, Every every day you're posting something like some kind of shotgun pattern on, on a on a green. Is there some correlated data to high frequency has bigger shotgun pattern, low frequency has smaller shotgun pattern? Is there anything like that?
1: Um, you know, there, there, yeah, absolutely. So okay. in studies, 100%. So in studies that have been done at 100%, there's been a number of studies that uh, they've looked at you know, people performing uh, different tasks um, and putting them into different uh, states um, through different mechanisms. And then I'll show you a, a, you know, a picture that's going to you know, be jarring and it's going to make your brainwave frequency go up or I'll, I'll have you do a few minutes of, of breathing or some other techniques to lower your brainwave frequency. And then I'll have you do something like, um, I don't know, shoot, you know, bow and arrow, you know, archery. And then measure the results. And it's astounding to see how much different people perform in lower brainwave frequency. Um, and, you know, just anecdotally, you will use your example from earlier, like those five days at the mid when everything felt like it was in slow motion. Everything was, you know, just was easy. It was a blur. It, w- it was simple. Um, you were in very low frequency state that entire time. Um, So yes, performance does have a a very strong direct relationship with your brainwave frequency. And that can change throughout the course of a round. Um, One of the things I looked at recently, which I thought was really interesting, was I looked at players that um, missed a really short putt on a hole um and I think it was 30 inches or less they missed a putt from 30 inches or, or less and as a tour pro that's that gets your attention very fast because you typically don't miss anything from two and a half feet and in very very small number of putts are missed um and then I looked at what their tee shot performance was like on the next hole and their tee shot performance on the next hole as a group was significantly worse than what they typically do. And that high frequency state that you get into after missing a short putt, it carries over. Um, And the most damaging thing you can do uh, from a neuroscience perspective is miss a short putt. Um, And that has the most impact. That's the biggest surprise is missing a really short makeable putt. It's the biggest surprise And Dr. Justice would probably add in, uh, you know, some things that are a a little bit beyond that, um, you know, with putting um, and he would do a much better job of explaining it. The finality of putting contributes to that surprise level. Um, So the finality of putting is, you know, the hole is over. It's, I reach in, I get the ball, I go to the next hole, the hole is over. And that finality impacts your level of surprise. So when a tour pro misses a two footer, that's, a shock to the system for them. And if they were, if we were measuring their brainwave activity at that point, uh, if we had an EEG machine on them, you would see their brainwave, their frequency would just spike, it would go way up. And if you're not doing something very specifically to try to bring that back down um, by the time you get to the next T box, um, you are putting yourself in a situation where it's going to be challenging to hit a good shot. Um, or hit as good a shot as you are capable of, which is why it was no surprise that their performance on the next tee was significantly worse than it typically is. And I even controlled for things like, um, you know, the player had a really good round going and then, you know, missed a two footer for some reason, um, and so it wasn't like they were playing really poorly and, and they were just out there slopping it around and they're just continuing to slop it around. I found situations where they were playing great, missed a two footer and then got up to the next tee and, you know, flared one 40 yards right. Um, so it, it, uh, it does have a huge, huge impact.
0: Yeah. And one of the things I wrote down to ask you about is how to move on from bad shots. And I think that. Mostly hits the nail on the head because a bad shot surprises you. You expect to hit a good one. A bad one surprises you. It's just like a showing you, or it's like a bear popping out in the woods. It's, it's a surprise and it raises your brain wave frequency. So how to move on from a bad one is do those techniques at between that bad one and the next shot. And that's breathing. I mean, Dr. Justice. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, all his exercises. Yeah.
1: Yeah. All all of his exercises and you're essentially engaging all of your different senses. So you're, you're, you're looking at things, you're noticing things, you're uh, you're doing things that engage your senses. And when you do that, you will lower your brainwave frequency. And again, everything that we're trying to do is to lower Mm -hmm. our brainwave frequency. That's the entire goal of all of this is to get to that state that you were in for the first five days of the mid-amp is to get to alpha and theta brain waves, which are low frequency brain waves. When you're there, it's a lot easier to perform well because the sequencing is not impacted, your ability to hold the target isn't impacted and your your ability to feel correct force isn't impacted. Um, and when those things are not impacted, you. you the instructions that are in your brain to hit a golf shot can very efficiently and very effectively travel through those roads in your body. The neural pathways carries all that information to your muscles, um, and your muscles execute those instructions and there's no traffic on those roads. So all that information gets there. There's no traffic on those roads. It gets there when it's supposed to get there, your muscles fire and move when they're supposed to fire and move. And your chances of hitting a good golf shot go
0: up significantly. Mm, That's awesome. Uh, That's that, that is for someone who has not otherwise heard that, or even in the realm thought about it, that, that should be breakthrough stuff. That should be, this is why I have been like this. Not, not because someone distracted. I mean, it could be like things that I thought were ends of themselves are actually resulting in something going on in my brain that I can have at least some control over. And that's breakthrough. It should be breakthrough. Yeah. So
1: his, his book is awesome. It's called Jira golf, G Y R a golf. Um, and when I read it, it was, um, you know, to me, it was, a lot of light bulb moments like, wow, I really understand what's going on now and I get the science behind performance and what I can do to increase my probability of hitting a good golf shot. It doesn't guarantee you're gonna hit a good golf shot. Um, I'm sure during those five days you hit a couple shots that were you know a little loose, of course. Um, it doesn't guarantee that you will hit everything perfectly. Um, but it increases your chances significantly. and then the opposite is true when you're in a high frequency state, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to hit a poor shot. It just increases those chances significantly. And so you want to tip the scales in your favor as much as you can by being in low frequency state all the time. And the thing that that's that's also extremely important is you know it, it's not just, the 15 or 20 seconds before you hit a shot um that's not the only time we're going through and applying these techniques and preparing it's it's the week of your tournament so there's things that you need to do leading up to the week of your tournament to uh, get yourself into a lower baseline state of brainwave frequency um, you want to do things that are going to induce that throughout the week. You don't want to do things that are going to make your brainwave frequency go really high. So, you know, if you have a, an important event on on Saturday is the first round, um, I don't know. Do uh, doing your taxes on Friday is probably not a good idea. Um, doing tax unless you're one of those rare individuals that loves to do taxes and you're super excited by it. <laughs> and um, it's most people can't, Yeah, most people can't stand to do taxes um so don't do your taxes the day before um so preparing for an event leading up to an event there's a lot of things that you can do to prepare and get yourself into a lower baseline state and then from the moment you wake up on tournament day there's there's things that you can do leading up to getting to the golf course and then while you're at the golf course that you can do throughout the course of your round To keep yourself in a lower baseline state of brainwave frequency, and that will help to change Mm -hmm. performance.
0: That's awesome. I anecdotally i I can think back to tournaments where, like, it's another U.S. mid am or something, and it's at a cool city and it's a cool location. And you know, me and my wife will we want to go and enjoy the city that we're in. So the day before the first round, or sometime in the week leading up, we go out and walk around and, you know, go see the mountains or something like basically bombarding myself with surprising new things. And I look back at those tournaments and I didn't play as well. And there could have been a million factors. I wasn't prepared or whatever, but I wasn't doing myself any service by constantly keeping my brainwaves high because it's exciting. I want to have a good time but the tournaments that I did play well, they were at boring places or I just, I decided I, I set a, a point of I'm going to relax as much as I can the week of this tournament. And, and it resulted in better play. I mean, it's just, I I think anecdotally there's a correlation yeah. there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. You are getting yourself into lower brainwave frequency, which is going to increase your probability of, of performing better. Um, and, that's ultimately i i feel like i'm beating a dead horse but that's <laughs> really what it's all about and um it's been amazing for me to work with dr justice and learn from him um he's just a, an awesome guy um just a just a spectacular guy brilliant guy he's one of those guys that he's just um you know he's a, a combat veteran um he's completed a, you know multiple triathlons uh, super successful You know iq off the charts um and just the nicest most humble person you would ever meet so it's been awesome to to get to know him and learn from him um and uh, understand this stuff way better than i ever had before um and i never intended to to and, and i wouldn't even say i'm a mental game coach now Um, It's just something I went through that I, I, you know, I I can pass on to the players that I work with and I work with them almost exclusively on stats, but now I'm I'm better equipped to kind of blend those two together. Um, And to me, the marriage there was a a good one because um, I think people have pretty warped expectations on what good means. And I, that has a big impact on them. So, if you have a good understanding of what a reasonable outcome is for a shot, you're going to be less surprised, right? If you're, if you're a 10 handicap and you're standing in the fairway at 100 yards and you're expecting to hit everything inside of 15 feet. And if you don't hit it inside of 15 feet, you get a little annoyed with yourself, you get mad, you get angry, what, what, however you want to categorize that, whatever word you want to give to describe that. What's really happening is you are increasing the quantity and and the frequency of your brain waves, which is going to make it tougher for you to perform well. Um, and having proper expectations can help to significantly reduce that surprise level. So if you're a 10 handicap or a five handicap and you have a wedge in your hand from a hundred yards and you hit it to 40 feet, you're going to go, yeah. That's, that's really not that bad for my skill level. Um, right. That that's, I hit the green. That's, that's a really good outcome. That's, that's a, you know, reasonable for me. Um, and it helps to give you a realistic understanding of a range of outcomes. Now, if you do nothing, but hit it to 40 feet or miss the green from a hundred yards with a wedge, and that's all you ever do. Um, that's a different issue. Um, and that's why it's so important to track your stats. Uh, and have good statistics on your game. And uh, plug for Arcos. That's where something like Arcos comes in to to, to help you track all that information, um, so you can start to identify those areas in your game that you need to work on. Um, and but having all of those expectations really marries up with the neuroscience of performance. That makes perfect sense. So
0: I I I want to talk about this forever, but let's try to move on. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You mentioned um, it's not your fault. I kept, I kept pushing you because I this is this is fascinating to me. It really is. But you mentioned it's important to track your stats. So something I've been interested in, and it's kind of a selfish question, but how, in your mind, is there a way without having that headband thing? Is there a way to track mental game stats or mental game improvement? Like, how can you how can you say I was here? At one point on January first, twenty twenty-two, and I want to get to here on December thirty-first, and this is clear information that says I got better mentally. Is there is there a way to do that?
1: Yeah, you know, in in uh, in Doctor Justice's book, um, he has uh, what a, a mental scorecard. Right, there's a number of people that have a mental scorecard, but his approach is a little bit different, and, and he walks you through and. I definitely recommend for those that are interested, I definitely recommend getting the book and reading through the book. It's going to go through it in a whole lot more detail. But the way that he is approaching it is he's looking at outcomes of shots in your surprise level and you're scoring your surprise levels from shots. It's it's not um, I know others and I think these other approaches are, 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 are just fine. Others look at you know did I do everything I needed to do to prepare for the shot you know yes or no, and I think that's a great way to look at it. But this looks at it from a different angle, where you can do all those things and you and you need to do all those things, and then having a pre-shot routine that's effective that that gets you ready to hit the ball and, and have the biggest chance for success is very important. Um, but after you hit that shot, your reaction and what you do, the adjustments that you make after are the most important thing and your brainwave frequency is going to be extremely tied to your level of surprise. So a lot of the research that Dr. Justice did was not only measuring players and actual frequencies, uh, you know, on the golf course and what happens to them in different situations and looking at their brainwave activity. He had them score their level of surprise after a shot and the relationship between brainwave activity and how somebody was scoring their level of surprise was, you know, it, it's a straight line essentially. And so understanding your level of surprise after a shot and then Based on where you are, you can use that level of surprise to get an idea of where your brainwave frequency is. And based on how high your brainwave activity is, there are different techniques that you can apply to lower your brainwave frequency. Remember, that's all we're trying to do here is lower brainwave frequency. So we need to measure where is our brainwave frequency. Uh, And our brainwave frequency is going to um, change the most after we hit a shot. Um, we we shank one, which I'm occasionally known to do. No. Um, we shank one. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a shankopotamus man. It's, it's good. Well, then you shouldn't be surprised. Uh, well, that's it, a good, it's a fair point, but it always catches me off guard.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so uh, when I shank one, my brainwave frequency goes up, um, and I need to do things to bring it back down. You know, if I have a wedge in my hand from from 120, and I hit it to you know 35 feet. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna be thrilled with that. I'm not. I'm not gonna be disappointed with that. So I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Like it's eh, it's an okay shot. It's not bad. It's not great. And there's things I would do there that are different than when I shank one. And and so tracking that and looking at where you are, sort of getting a temperature of your brain after shots, is how he approaches it. Um, and and he approaches it that way. That's just the science behind. Uh, what you need to do, the adjustments that you need to make based on where your brainwave frequency is. And those adjustments that you need to make are going to be based on how high your frequency is um, and how high your frequency is, is going to be directly related to, you know, what happened on the last shot or the shot before that, or the shot before that. Um, And if you've ever hit a really poor shot, sometimes it takes multiple holes to get through that and get over that. And that's your brainwave frequency staying extremely elevated for all that, for all that period of time. Um, and then eventually coming back down to a, a state where it's a little bit easier to perform. So everything you do here is around getting that frequency back down and, and measuring output after a shot with respect to what your surprise level was gives you the information you need to apply the techniques you need to apply. Hopefully that all made sense.
0: It does. It, it, goes back to awareness noticing like taking account of yourself like that's always been you know you just you spend any time researching psychology mental related things awareness is always the first step so it's no surprise that the mental game scorecard in dr justice's uh, approach is right after you hit the shot turn your attention at yourself be aware of what's going on, how you feel about the result. Right. And if it was, if you're super crazy surprised, mark that down. If you're not at all, uh, mark that down and and that, and just the awareness I bet has an effect on lowering your brainwaves. Just, just being able to notice I'm surprised. Okay. Well, the fact that you notice is going to help you respond properly, just noticing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so in his book, he goes through uh, how he handles this, how he does this. And he has a program that he put together that's coming out soon um, to walk you through mental game training. Um, And he has an app that um, either just came out in the last couple of days. I don't know if it's live yet um, on his on his site, um, that is a mental game scorecard that follows this. And it gives you the ability to enter your score, um, your level of surprise, your your JIRA number, as he describes it, after each shot. And then it gives you um, the, the techniques that you should do um, afterwards to get your brainwave frequencies back down where we need them to be if they start to go up and i've used it and it is a it's it's not a way that most people have ever seen before um uh, but it is insanely effective with how it's just the science behind trying to lower brainwave frequency is really what it is kind of bundled up into this app and it gives you you know without having the ability to put something to monitor your brainwave frequency, you know, an EEG machine on your head, you know, this approach gives you a, a incredibly good uh, indicator as to where your brainwave frequency is. And then all the things that you need to do kind of in this app that you can use to teach and train yourself, how to react to all of these, uh, these situations on the golf
0: course. Mm, That's awesome. I'm, I will be on the lookout for that app and I'm, I'm telling my players to do it. I I just, this is awesome. So it won't be fair to this subject, but I'd like to just get your maybe quick thoughts as we're kind of rounding out this, this episode on the, uh, I, I said up front and you mentioned it about clutch and the statistical side of clutch and the, the math on the difference pressure makes. And I think a lot of people are, are interested in like how, how to play well in the clutch, like what, so maybe you can just kind of describe your blog post or what you know about Clutch and the statistics of it and, and the mental side of it.
1: Uh, yeah. So I when I did this, I never had any real consideration or understanding of the mental side. Um, I'll, I'll walk you through what I did and what I found and how surprised I was. Um, so I looked at how players performed when they had the lead. And I didn't just look at okay, well, Josh was in the lead after round one. How did he do in round two? I didn't, I didn't do that. What I did was using all of, the, all of the data, I went through and I was able to, uh, for every minute of every round of every tournament, I, was, I recalculated the leaderboard. So one of the things that they have in the shot link data is timestamps. When you hit a shot, uh, when you finished the a hole, they have timestamps in there. So I went through and for every minute of the day, I would go through and, and I would figure out where everybody stood score-wise. Um, and it was a giant pain to pull this together and write all that code to figure that out. Um, but I went through and I did that. And then for every single hole that a player played, I had the ability to see where they were on the leaderboard You know, before they teed off. And when they finished the hole, I could see where they were on the leaderboard. So now I could find players that were in the lead. Oh, I could find players that were, you know, not in the lead, but were within three shots of the lead, or within five shots of the lead, or players that were way back on the leaderboard. I could I could easily find all those players, and I could see how they did. And the thing that was absolutely shocking to me at first, uh, and then made sense the more I thought about it was players in the lead, uh, as a group. And I'm talking about, uh, I'm considering players that, um, you know, mostly make the cut, you know, players that are, you know, trunk slamming, you know, shooting 76, 75 and trunk slamming. They're not playing all that well, but I'm talking about players that are uh, making the cut, um, as a group players that were in the lead, they played the worst, which was just, it blew my mind. And I was like, I, There's no way, like, I did something wrong. This code's got to be off. But if you think about it, there's a lot of – it. it's not very often. Here's the first easy way to think about it. It's not very often somebody goes wire to wire and wins, right? That rarely happens. Um, And and there's a lot of uh, lead changes in an event where a player throughout the course of the day – and I don't just mean lead at the end of the day, at the end of the round – I mean, players crawl up into the lead, mm. right? And then they fall out of it. The, so they kind of get out in front and then the chase pack catches up and overtakes them and they, they go back down into the pack. And so when you look at all the players at event that get up into the lead at some point or tied for the lead as a group, their performance was the worst. And I was looking at their performance on a strokes gain basis. So, you know, strokes gained, uh, overall. So strokes gained total, as well as all the different categories uh, off the tee approach around the green and putting. And it was, uh, you know, fascinating to to look at and see how bad they were as a group. And now, you know, with a better understanding of what's going on, um, I can infer that if we were to have EEG machines on those players, and they looked over and they saw their name at the top of the board that is going to probably in a lot of players increase brainwave frequency and when you increase brainwave frequency um your performance is generally going to get worse so that that's i'm if i had to bet the farm on it that's that's what i think is very very likely happening um, and the, the players that uh, end up, you know, doing the best, winning the most, um, they, in my opinion, they probably have a, a better ability to stay in lower frequency more often. Mm. Um, and that's really one of the big differentiators between the players that are, you know, top Twenty in the world, and the players that are you know 150 to 200 in the world. I don't think there's much physical skill difference between them, um, but I think some of that mental skill, I think, could be could be a contributing factor.
0: Mm. And and if you could put a EEG on a player that is running away from the pack, winning by eight, whatever, it's probably lower on average than. The players that are dropping out of the lead or are barely hanging on. Right. It's maybe if yeah, we're, if we're would, trying to infer.
1: Yeah, you know. I would I would say that that's a, a fair assumption. I think when player has it going, you know, that well, um, you know, and, and unless you're Greg Norman at the Masters. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. Um I I would say yeah that's probably a, a fair statement. They've just gotten into low frequency and they're staying there and you know Tiger uh, at Pebble like they're there this week Tiger Pebble 2000 you know just ran away with it. And, um probably stayed low frequency the whole time. Doesn't help that it doesn't hurt that he's probably one of the most physically talented players ever. Um so he 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 had it all. Um he could do
0: everything. Yeah. On that note he um <sighs> Anecdotally, I don't know, but on that note, he, in interviews around that tournament, he said, "I just felt a sense of calm that day on that Sunday or the whole tournament." I think as soon as he he said, as soon as he showed up on property, he felt that sense of calm. So, I think I think score one for the the low frequency, probably. Yeah, I'd
1: I, I never heard that before, but that doesn't yeah. doesn't surprise me. Um, doesn't yeah. surprise me.
0: All right. Well, we've gone over. I appreciate your time. One more question. Yeah. It's kind of statistical related. It's a question I like asking everybody at the end of the podcast. What percent of golf is mental and what percent of golf is physical?
1: Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the uh, I'm gonna answer it a couple of different ways. Okay. Um, I think that the worse you are as a player. Um, i think physical has more of an impact um, and if we go to the extreme example somebody that's you know never played the game before and they pick up a golf club for the first time um, physical plays a huge role they don't even know how to hold the club um, much less swing it so that's a huge impact um, and at that point um, you know they still have probably higher frequency going on at that point but You know, to them, they they don't even know how to move. They're not even sure what to do or how to do it. So as you get better, I think the 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 mental goes up. I I don't know that I'd be able to put a number on it, but when you get to tour level, I mean, it's a huge, huge, huge part of the equation. Like you get these guys out there uh, on a range uh, in a you know a situation where it doesn't you know, there's no consequence to a shot and they're just hitting balls on the range. They're all going to, they're just stripe shows. Like they're, they're going to, they don't miss. Um, They are incredibly talented. Their ability to, to hit the, you know, hit, put the ball in the center of the face is incredible. Um, I've seen some like GC quad output from a number of different tour players, um, you know, from practice sessions. And it's just, it's astounding to look at, you know, how consistent they are, how good they are. But when you get them in the heat of battle um, that changes Um, and in the heat of battle just means competition. So when they get out there in competition, their brainwave frequency is going to go up. um, And those that are better, at managing that either through intentionally knowing what to do, or they've just been, you know, brought up or been around the game in a way that, uh, induced low frequency brainwaves. Um, I, I think for professionals, I think it's, if I had to put a number on it, it's, it's 95%, it's, it's a massive, massive number. Um, and, you know, that's that's just me spitting out a number. I don't know what of the official one is. I don't know if it's 63, no. 78. <laughs> I have no idea. But for professional athletes, I to me that's the difference between, you know, keeping your card and being top twenty in the world. Um plays such an important role in my in my opinion.
0: Yeah. That was as good of an answer as you could give to a probably an unanswerable question. So yeah. I really appreciate it, Lou. This has been awesome. I've got 20 other things I wanted to ask you, but we we tackled a really big thing. Um, so I hope this was as light bulb of a moment as your certification process was. I hope this podcast was that for a lot of people. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Josh. It was a lot of fun. And uh, you know those other 20 questions you have, uh, I'm, I'm happy to come back at some point if you'll have me. It, it, was, hope so. it was a great time. And and maybe some of that golf swing you have will start to rub off on me. So I need to spend more time around you to try to, to try to get some of that from you. Yeah. Well, is
0: there any, any place people should go? Anything you want to promote? Anything?
1: Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at, uh, at Lou Stagner. Uh, and then uh, you can find me uh, with Arcos golf. So Arcos And And uh, so, don't, don't feel, uh, don't, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, my DMS are open. So if you have questions, shoot me questions. I always get some really good ones from people. So don't hesitate to reach out.
0: All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lou. I, that was a lot. I, I hope you could hear it in my voice. Uh, I, it was just like, um, it was light bulbs going off for me. I, I it was it was something I had never realized. I mean, I knew the brain obviously was important to, to your mental game, to your psychology, to to golf in general, but I I had never heard words put to it like that or or real information and real data put to it like that. So that's, you know, in a selfish way, that's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is because I get to I have, I have an excuse to ask people, can I talk to you? And Lou, obviously, is super gracious to, to come on the episode, uh, come on the show, but just, just getting to talk to someone and myself getting to learn, let alone the benefits of all of you guys getting to hear what these experts have learned themselves. And that's all we're all trying to do, is we're all trying to learn, and then this podcast is just a vehicle for uh, moving one person's learning to you. And uh, I get to be in the middle of that and I get to learn myself. So this episode is a great example of that. Just learning how the brain is involved in a very tangible, real way is just so cool. So uh, in the in the show notes, I'll have links to some of the things we talked about in the episode. Um uh, like Doctor Izzy Justice's book, uh, that app I found it. It's um, it'll be linked in the show notes uh, along with some other things. Uh, I will also down there have a link to a topic suggestion page. You can also suggest a guest for the podcast there. There's no harm in that. If you have an idea of someone you would like to hear on this podcast send me the suggestion I obviously no guarantee that they will be on the podcast because uh, usually the more famous they are the more requests they get and the harder it is to get them on a podcast um, unless you have some crazy connections and as I as I reach out to more of these people and get to talk to more of these people I build up more connections so if you think of anybody just pop into that um, that link and send the suggestion my way and I will also have a link to the weekly mental game newsletter called The Mental Regrip. It's, um, it's my take on a weekly newsletter where you just get, uh, obviously, a reminder about this episode, uh, about the week's episode. But you'll also get a weekly mental game tip that is gonna hopefully give you something to chew on, uh, give you something to reflect on maybe why something happened this past week of golf or something to work on going forward for this week of golf. Uh, it's it's me trying to just give you know one thing to help a bunch of different people, which is hard to do. But I try to make it uh, worth it. I try to make it uh, valuable. I put I put thought into it every week. So there will be a link to the Mental Regrip newsletter down in the show notes. And I like to say this. Um, I, it always makes me un- uncomfortable to say this, but I am a mental coach myself. If any of this stuck out to you on this episode or things of past episodes, if if topics seem to just speak right to you and you just you feel like you need more and you feel like you want to improve that specific thing for yourself, for your own circumstances, I am a mental coach, so you can work with people like me. It doesn't have to be me, but you should you should not leave your mental game up to chance. You should take it into your own hands and actually work on it whether that's you know getting more detailed and taking better notes of this podcast or listening to all the podcasts out there that that um that interview other top mental game experts um uh, just like I'm able to interview top mental game experts so there's so many resources out there resources out there but if you need to take it to your personal level I'm a mental game coach You can head to my website, foundationsmp.com, to get more info. Okay, that's it. This has been awesome. This has been a long one. If you stuck stuck it out this long, I am very impressed with you. You are the true listener here. Thank you for listening to this this episode, and I look forward to bringing more episodes with more awesome uh, people in the future to you. All right, till next time. This has been the Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols. See you later.